0: Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend, and uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being uh, patient and flexible with everything going on uh, with COVID as we're kind of surfing through those things. Thanks for uh, really taking the time to distance and wear your mask and things like that when you're here at Grace. Uh, We're working hard to kind of stay open uh, through all of this, and so those things help us to do that. And helps us to, uh, to interact with our community and our officials. And that's our plan. Uh, our plan is to kind of keep doing the ministry that we've been doing. And uh, to keep pursuing the opportunities and loving the people that, that we've been loving. And uh, we decided together that that's kind of what we're going to pursue and how we're going to go at it. The thing that would shift that is if our county goes into purple And we decided that's going to be kind of the the trigger there, which is the highest, highest level that the governor will put us in. And so we're kind of keeping an eye on that. We talk about COVID, we plan for COVID, we work with COVID every day, like I bet you guys do in your jobs too, and uh, very much have our eyes on it. Uh, But unless and until that happens, just kind of plan on things the way that they've been throughout the fall. And if we hit that purple mark, then we'll communicate. So if you get a video in your email uh, or over a text and it's my beautiful face, for a whole bunch of reasons, listen to that. I mean, it's only going to improve your day, let's be honest about it. Uh, But we'll communicate and try to be clear about those things and uh, want you to do the same. uh, Whether you're uh, in person here or you're watching online, uh, those are kind of the triggers that we'll have as we go forward. But I'm excited. Uh, that we're getting into our Christmas season. And I would look and say, man, uh, if there's ever a year where we would celebrate Christmas and need it and need the hope and the wonder of it in a special way, it, it's this year. So kind of grateful that we're to this point in the year and that we can uh, keep our attention focused on the bigger things, the higher things, that God loves us and he wants to interact with us and uh, that he made a point to come and be with us. And that's that's kind of our theme this year. We're going to we're going to zero in on this word Emmanuel and really what it means. Emmanuel means God with us and why God with us is such a big deal and how that plays out kind of a, in a big way like between God and humanity but in very personal ways also and how that shows up and how that shows up in our lives. So Let's talk about this for a little bit. Why is God being with us such a big deal and why was that motivating him and driving him? Why isn't God just out there somewhere kind of from a distance running the planet and the universe kind of a thing? Why was it so important to him that he uh, offered his son and Jesus agreed and wanted to participate in God's plan, why did he put skin on? Why was he born of a virgin? Why did Christmas play out the way that it has played out? And then Jesus' life and his teaching and his sinlessness and then the manger always points to the cross, that's the plan and so offering his life, raising again. Why was that so important that God do that in such a way that we could understand it, that we could get our head around it, that we could interact with it? What did God see in humanity that he knew he needed to respond to, and why did he want to be with us? So let's get inside his head and his mind and his heart a little bit and see if we can figure this out some. When God was looking down from heaven, so to say, and he was looking at the condition of humanity, and he made this decision, this willful decision that I want to be with Them, I want to interact with him. What was he seeing that he was responding to? And then how does Christ play into that answer? So the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us about God's heart and mind. In Isaiah chapter nine, we get a glimpse of kind of what God was glimpsing at. The prophet says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So when God, before Christmas, looked down from heaven and looked at humanity, what did he see? He saw people who were living in gloom and distress and darkness, and he saw uh, uh, them living in a land of deep darkness, or he saw a culture of or a world that was in deep darkness. And he looked at that and said, that's what I'm responding to. Why this big plan? Why this elaborate plan, so to say? That my son would be given, that he would step out of heaven, put skin on, be born of a virgin, and kick off not just the Christmas idea, but really the life and the calling and the ministry of Christ. What did God respond to? Well, he responded to humanity's gloom and distress and darkness that created a culture that lived in darkness. Why would he respond to that, right? So if God is a judgmental God, if God is a harsh God, if God is a distant God, and he saw people in gloom, distress, and darkness, why wouldn't he just look at those people and say, well, you made your bed go lie in it? Or why wouldn't he just turn us over to that? That's your problem. That's not my problem. Why did he act in such an intentional and powerful and decisive way? Well, to get our head around God's kind of heart in all of this, what you have to do is go back to man's original relationship with God. So if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, the Bible describes and tells us about man's original relationship with God, and we would see that in the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis chapter three, you see how God created humanity and what he created us for. And what you find out very quickly in that description of that relationship is that God did not create us to rule us. He did not create us to subjugate us. He did not create us to control us. He created us to enjoy us. He created us to have a relationship with him. And in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter three, when man and God are in the relationship that they were created to be in, you see that playing out. God created an environment for humanity, the Garden of Eden. Every good and perfect thing was in that environment. So all their needs, all their desires, all that they needed for life and health and, and what we might even call prosperity was in that Garden of Eden. And the most important thing in that Garden of Eden was God himself. And so the Bible says that God and man would interact with each other freely. That God would come and he would walk with man and he would talk with man and he would enjoy humanity and humanity would enjoy and interact with God. And in that window of time... Human beings were completely fulfilled, our soul was filled, our longings were filled, our insecurities, our anxieties were filled, and they were filled by our relationship with God. And God was, so to say, fulfilled also because he was enjoying that perfect relationship with humanity, interacting with us freely and interacting with us for the very thing that we were created for, which was his enjoyment for him to know us and for us to know him. And into that perfect relationship, humanity, Adam and Eve, introduced sin. And Adam and Eve, in essence, looked at God and said, you know what, God? We're not sure that we need you to fulfill us. We want to be spiritually independent. We don't want to rely on you for all of those things. And so we want to look for that fulfillment Outside of you. And mankind was callous. And mankind was without knowledge. Or what the Bible would say is ignorant. Mankind was rebellious. And mankind acted in spiritual independence. And they entered in or welcomed into their life sin. And sin separates us from God. With God it's not an issue of good and bad. It's an issue of perfect and imperfect. And sin is our imperfection and God is perfect. So he cannot be around or near sin because if you introduce any level of imperfection into perfection, you make the imperfect perfect. And our relationship with God was broken. Mankind was living kind of in the light of God and they removed themselves from that light and they stepped into darkness. It's the same thing that we do. It's not that God moves, because God doesn't move. It's not that God changes. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we're far from God, it's because we have moved from God. It's never because God has moved from us. And we move away from the relationship we were created to have with God into darkness, because we think that what will fulfill us is all the things in the garden. If I could just have everything I wanted, everything that I needed, and everything that I ever dreamt of, then my soul will be satisfied. That's exactly what Adam and Eve thought. And they didn't realize that what what caused the satisfaction of their soul was not the environment that they were in, it was the God that they were with. And they removed themselves from him. And now, no matter how much of this environment they got their hands around, they're always in some level of gloom because they're not with God. You see it all the time. You, you, see, you see pop stars and movie stars, and they have health, and they have wealth, and they're as sexy as you can get and yet they're depressed and broken and even take their own lives. They're gloomy, why? They've got the garden, what are they missing? Well, they're missing the God of the garden. They're trying to fill their souls with something else. We do it too. We are the wealthiest people group that have ever existed in the history of humanity. And Harvard just put a study out that 50% of college students struggle with anxiety and depression how can it be how can it be we have the garden but we don't have the god of the garden and so even us who live the lives that most people on planet earth wish that they could live we would struggle with depression anxiety insecurity gloom see we would live in distress well how can you live in distress when you're the wealthiest people that have ever existed. We're the healthiest people. that We live longer than any other generation has ever lived on planet Earth. How can it be that we're in distress? We're in distress because we're trying to fill our souls. How can we struggle with anxiety? We don't worry about food, clothing, shelter, or water. How can we struggle with anxiety? Well, because those things aren't what fulfills our souls. We would be distressed because we're not with God like we were created to be with. And that takes us to personal darkness. See, many, many people would struggle with depression and anxiety and insecurity, all those kind of things, like many of us do. We would struggle with that because it's going to lead us to darkness and you take all of that and you start to struggle with your sin and your rebellion and your decisions and your spiritual independence and you add that up and we live in a land of deep darkness. We would live in a culture that has absolutely everything in it but is, we would say, missing its soul. You can get anything but nothing will satisfy. You can do anything but nothing completes us. Right? So God looks down before Christmas sees humanity in this condition. He's not mad. He's not honked off. He doesn't like flood the earth smite you, you know, everybody's got to live in Michigan. He's not doing that. He looks down and he is moved. His heart is broken because he created us to enjoy us and to be with us, but we have stepped away from him in the gloom, distress, and darkness. And collectively now we live in a land of deep darkness. But because of Christmas, a light has dawned. A light has dawned in this land of deep darkness. A light has dawned, how, what's the life look like? Well, it looks like this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace into this time of gloom, anxiety, depression, stress, that's how we would use those words, gloom and distress and darkness, comes Christ. Comes God charging through, chasing people who have removed themselves from him. He did not remove himself from us. And he doesn't come to judge us And he doesn't come to, I told you so, us. And he doesn't come to zap us. He comes to words like this. Free us. Rescue us. Break the bonds of our slavery to sin. Provide a way of escape. He comes to be with us. And he comes in such a way that he's not terrifying. He's not God speaking from a mountain. He's not God in a pillar of fire. He's not God shaking the earth. He's not God causing darkness in the land. He comes as a child. A child that we can relate to and not be afraid of. And a child that can bring joy and hope and peace into our lives because he wants to be with us, right? And what's that child going to do? Well, he's going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And then the, what we're going to key in on here is he also comes as the prince of peace. He's a royal official who comes in the name of peace. The prince of Wales, the prince of peace, and he comes representing the peace that God wants to create between himself and humanity. Right? So on a big picture, on a big level, that's what's happening like macro, like cosmic, is that the creator of the heavens and the earth wants to interact with his creation, who has fallen into sin willfully. And now there's enmity between God and man. There's a state of war between God and man. And Jesus comes with as the prince of peace, the representative of peace, the offering or the pathway of peace. And he comes as a child. And so the child is born, the son is given, so that peace can be achieved, so to say, between God and man. Now, what the Apostle Paul does with all of this is he takes all of this and he brings it down to a very personal level. So I just walked you through like, the Bible. (laughs) Right? And so, Paul comes in and he says, in essence, let's talk about this in your life. Like, this is what's happening between God, and this is what's happening between humanity, and this was God's intention, and this was man's rebellion. But how does this show up, like, in your dorm room? How does this play out in real time? So, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 5, he jumps on this whole idea. And he says this, he says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So Paul comes in and he kind of reiterates that whole cosmic idea that we just talked about. And Paul comes in and he says, yeah, when we accept the forgiveness of Christ, because the manger leads to the cross, so Jesus laid his life down, he's buried for three days by his own power, raised himself from the dead, he defeated sin and death and created forgiveness for us if we want to accept it. So through, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, that's receiving the forgiveness of our sin. When I'm justified, I'm made right with God. My legal debt with God has been settled. So Paul says, so if you've accepted Christ, if you've asked the forgiveness of your sin, if you've embraced what God came to do, when that happens through faith, something happens in our personal interaction with God. When I'm justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. This word peace is a very interesting word because when the Bible uses the word peace, It uses it in several different ways. So later on in the Bible, God would say this, that Jesus gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's an internal peace, right? I'm anxious, I'm tense, I'm just whatever's going on in my life. And Jesus can give us peace in a crisis. He can give us peace when we're grieving. He can give us peace when we have like high anxiety, right? And he can give us that peace. That's not what the apostle Paul is talking about here. The apostle Paul is saying this: we have relational peace with God. This word "peace," the way it's used here in the Greek, it's this idea. He, Paul could write it; could have written it this way if he was writing it in English. He might have said, "And we, through Christ, have tranquility in our relationship with God." He's not talking about the inner peace, or the peace of the spirit, or the spirit of comfort. He's talking about the relational tension that existed between you and God. But he's not talking cosmically, so to say, that man and God had enmity between each other, a state of war. He's talking relationally, because you have had your sins forgiven... And you are no longer removed from the presence of God, but you've put yourself back into God's presence. You've stepped out of the darkness into the light. Because of that, you now have tranquility in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You are personally at peace. Your sins have been forgiven. God says, when your sins were forgiven, I threw them as far as the east is from the west. I buried them at the bottom of the sea, I forget them. You and I no longer have tension between the two of us. We are at peace and Christ is the prince or the royal distributor or the royal ambassador of that peace. We find that peace with God through Christ. And that's a big deal. That's a super duper big deal. Because what that means is this, that in Christ, through my salvation, there is no longer tension or barriers between me and God. Now listen, ready? Most of us don't think about our relationship with God in those terms. Most of us, when we think about our relationship with God, we think about it not in terms of peace, we think about our relationship with God in terms of a truce. And Jesus was the broker of that truce, right? Because a truce and peace are very, very different things. Most of the time in our relationships with each other, when we're tense with each other, we don't come to peace with each other, we come to a truce with each other, right? So when you're fighting, when you were fighting on your way here to church this weekend, or you're fighting right now, maybe in your family room and I'm interrupting the fight, and you're kinda at each other a little bit because you're trying to put your Christmas decorations up and you're mad that your husband won't help you, not that that happens in my house, but other people tell me it's a real, real problem, what we'll usually do when we're fighting is we'll come to a truce. And we'll say some version of this, Let's just drop it. Let's just drop it. And you don't want to talk about it anymore. You might have done that with your family over the holidays. Like, whatever you do when Uncle Bill's in a room, don't bring up. X. and you like know what not to do and most of the time in our relationships we come to series of truces we don't talk to our mother-in-law about this we don't talk to our sister about that we don't bring that subject up from the past we don't bring up what happened at last Thanksgiving and we just drop it and we push it and we put it away and that truce is not the same as peace Right? Because when you call a truce, it doesn't resolve or satisfy the tension that's within you. In fact, what it usually does is deepen it and causes you to strategize about it. Right? We were together a little bit as our family and, and uh, my niece and I were talking. She lives in town here and, and we were remembering when she was little and was she, because she's in her 30s now, but she, when she was little, just a little kid, uh, we used to all meet up at my parents' house and we would uh, have Christmas together as a family, right? And every year at my parents' house, Santa would show up. Every year, Santa would show up. And he showed up at the exact same time every year, which is very difficult to get on his schedule, but if you can do it, he'll show up at your house like that. And so Santa would show up, and my niece was little. She's like five or six years old, and and she's the oldest of all the grandkids. So all the younger grandkids, they all thought Santa came to Grammy's house every year. Well, when my niece was about six years old, she was starting to get wise to this. And so one year, she looked at my brother and I, and she goes, I know who Santa is. And she's she's 30, and she still kind of talks like this. And she's like, I know who Santa is. And we're like, you don't know. She's like, yes, I do. It's either you, Uncle Dave, or it's you, Uncle Jeff. Because whenever Santa shows up, one of you is missing. So she said. And she goes, I'm going to tell everybody. And we said if you tell everybody, Santa will hate you. So you shouldn't tell everybody. And so we had this little thing where we're like playing back and forth. She's like, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell. And she was convinced, right? That, that she knew what was, what was going on. And so we kind of got through that Christmas, and she kind of dropped it, and we kind of dropped it, because she kind of wanted to believe still that, that Santa was showing up at, at Grammy's house every year. So we get together for the next year, and we got together, and we were my brother and I were talking about what we are going to do about this dilemma, and we said, listen, last year, ready, we called a truce. Like She kind of decided she was going to drop it, and we kind of decided that we were going to drop it, not kick her out of the family, because we we took a vote and we didn't make it. And so we decided that's what we were going to do. But my brother and I got together, and we said, we've got to get her, because we called a truce, and all a truce does is take take what caused tension, internalize it, and then you strategize about it. How are we going to deal with this tension? You don't solve it. And so my brother and I as grown adults were strategizing about how to get even with our 6-year-old niece who was now 7. And so next year we got together and we had worked out a plan. And the kids were doing their thing and, and the sleigh bells would ring. And whenever the sleigh bells were ringed, Santa would show up at the house. And my niece was being all sassy because she thought she really knew this year. And she tried to rub it in. It's you or Uncle Dave. It's you or Uncle Dave. And the kids came up to watch Santa put the stockings down. But my brother and I had plotted against my niece. And we asked a friend to be Santa And our friend dressed up as Santa, and he came in, and he was putting the stockings down, and my niece was sitting there and being all sassy because she knew who it was. And as my friend was putting the stockings down, my brother and I both walked in the front door together, and we caught Santa. And it was Santa, me, and my brother, and my niece's mind was blown. And her eyes were huge and her mind was full of gloom and distress and darkness, right? Because she did not know what to do, and everything played out, and my brother and I conquered and defeated a seven-year-old, and we've never let, it live, let her live it down, right? Why? Because that's what you do when you call a truce. And we think God works that way. We think God is called a truce, and so we strategize. We strategize. Well, if God called a truce, I'll go to church. I, I won't smoke, drink, chew, day girls who do cheer for Michigan. Little bit of money. Maybe Christmas, Easter. Maybe drop the F-bomb and just put in the Christian alternative for it. And since I call, God called a truce with me and I called a truce with God, that's what God wants out of this truce. So if I do this... God will, like, kind of make me happy, kind of give me a job, and maybe I won't get sick until I'm older. And we live in this tension with God. And then we strategize. I wonder how much God wants me. Is it 10%? It's, I wonder if I get away with 7 Is it the F-bomb? Can I put in another bomb? I should try it and see if my car starts in the morning and we're always trying to navigate this really because we think that's the way it works because that's the way it works with us and other people don't bring up politics don't bring up the divorce don't bring up drop it and if i drop it and you drop it then we'll be at peace with each other and you're not at peace you're at a truce Jesus is not the prince of truce. When God looked at humanity and saw gloom, despair, darkness, he didn't look and say, you know what? Let's make it a little less gloomy, a little, you know... Let's have a Christmas and at least they'll be in a relatively good mood for a couple days. He didn't give his son to effectuate a truce. He gave his son to create a path of peace. Now, When you want to be at peace with someone, what has to happen? If there's tension between you and there's tension between me, if I'm at a truce, I might prove you wrong and that's just gonna double down the tension because now I'm mad. If I want to be at peace, what has to happen? Somebody has to humble down. It's the only way. Somebody has to humble down. Remember, this is relational peace. This isn't us and some other country. This is relational peace. If I want peace with Heidi, if I want tranquility with her, or my kids, or a friend, or your roommate, and we're at tension... If we negotiate a truce, that tension just simmers and brews and it will blow again, right? That's how it works. But if we want forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion and healing, somebody's got to humble down. Now, here's what happens. The Bible calls that humbling down process, the Bible calls that repentance So if I've hurt you, if I've rejected you, if I've sinned against you, if I've been callous towards you, the things that humanity has been toward God, which caused the break in the garden, then the solution to that is my repentance. Well, repentance affects us at the level of the pain that we've caused in somebody else's life, right? So if I spill your coffee on you, and I look at you and say, I am so sorry. Like, can I get the paper towels? Can I, right? If I hurt you, if I offend you, and I spill your coffee on you, and I say, I'm really sorry, and try to help clean up, you will say, hey, it's no big deal. My level of repentance and your level of response causes peace because it wasn't a big deal. So it's very easy to move past. If I left you as a child, If I harmed your family, if I rejected you, that peace is very, very difficult. Ready? In our relationship with God, I'm the sinner, not God. He never left, He never abandoned. He never harmed. I did that. So in order to have peace with God, when I look at God and say, I'm the one, it's my sin that's responsible for your time on the cross. It's my sin that is the one that needs to be forgiven. I'm the one. When I humble down, When I repent of my sin, what does God do? Does he look and say, well, that's just not enough. That's not, you've got to go to church every day. That's just not enough. I mean, you got to, I don't know, get a second job. You've got to really give some money. That's not enough. You've got to go join the nunnery somewhere, the, whatever. That's what you've got to do. When I humble down, what happens This God who looks down at humanity and sees me in distress and in gloom and in darkness, this God is not mad at me. He wants to be with me. But there has to be a bridge of peace. So a child is born, a son is given, the prince of peace comes, and he's not a peace offering, he's not a truce, he's a guide. It's through Christ that I go back to the Father. He's the path, he's the bridge of peace. And he didn't come so that you and I could somehow appease him, because he he won't be appeased by you and I. Christ did that work on the cross. He came so that you and I could be with him. Not in heaven one day, now. So that we can live life with him. It's fascinating how Paul goes on. He says this, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with Christ through our our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. This term, gained access, in the Greek language, which this was originally written in, this is the term that they would use to bring you into the presence of royalty, So if I was going to see the emperor or see a king, you would use that Greek term, and we would translate it gained access. It's a special privilege. It's a a unique invitation. It's through Christ and the tranquility, the relational peace that I have with him, that I gain access to the Prince of Peace, to his Father, God. The Prince of Peace walks me to the Father. And I have access through Christ, not a truce, a relationship, a witness. And it's this access that I give him by faith that causes this grace in which I now stand. This isn't something that I float in and out of, this now is my identity. This is not something that I'll have one day out there when I die if I go to heaven. This is Christ with me now, the Father with me now. I live with him, I interact with him. He won't leave me, he won't forsake me, why? Because he came to be with me. And I don't interact with him as if we have a truce. That there's certain things I let him know, certain things I don't, certain subjects we bring up, certain things we don't. You know, you just gotta drop that when God's in the room. I interact with him in tranquility, in right relationship, as a person who's been forgiven, justified, sanctified, restored, reconciled, adopted. And Paul says, all this Christmas stuff lands us in this relationship that we stand in, that we live in, that we function in. Because the Prince of Peace allows for peace between us and God. Guys, I think many of us have call it a truce. We do this with each other, all of us. Me first, all of us. We have tension in our relationships with each other. You know what Jesus says to do when we have tensions with your relationship, when someone has offended you? You know what Jesus says to do? He says, hey, Christ follower, you go to them. Where would that idea have ever played out before? Sounds a lot like Christmas to me you go to them so many of us in our relationships with each other the christ like act the christmas response might be a relationship with another person and i go to them and i let them know that i am hurt and they probably will let me know how i hurt that how i hurt them and then i humble down and pray for they they humble down And yet, peace. Many of us have called a truce in our relationship with God. That we would look and say, there's aspects of our relationship with God that like, God and I are kind of getting along. Kind of. But don't bring that up. Don't bring my childhood up. Don't bring my first marriage up. Don't bring the kids up. Don't bring my... Just don't bring that up. And we've created truces in our relationship with God. God would look and say, I, I want peace. I want to heal. I want to help. I want to change. I want to transform. I want peace. Peace. And I would imagine that there's some of us, some of us watching the service somewhere and some of us here in the room, and we don't have peace with God. We want the garden, and maybe you've even gotten it in your life, not on the outside, not to everybody else, because you have, what else could you possibly want? But in the depths of your soul, you would look and say, "I, I'm gloomy. I'm distressed. I'm in darkness. Everybody thinks I'm this. Everybody thinks my life is this. Everybody wishes they were like me this way. But that's not true in my heart. And I want to tell you that Christmas is God shouting, "I love you." He's not out to get you. He would have got you. Right? He loves you. He sees that in you. And his response is not just look at you and say, "Well, What'd you do that for, dummy? That's not his response. His response is to send a light into your darkness. And it dawns. It's a child, it's a son, it's the Prince of Peace. It's God reaching his hand out, offering it to you, wanting to give you forgiveness of your sin. And wanting to guide you to the place that you were created to be. All right. Would you pray with me as the band comes out? Maybe right now you could pray and ask God to show you a relationship that you need to bring Christ-likeness to, Christmas to. Maybe right now you need to ask God to show you a place in your relationship with him where you've called a truce when in reality you need peace. And maybe right now, no matter where you're at, Maybe right now is the moment that God is calling you to himself. And he knows and he cares and he wants to be light. So maybe right now from your heart to God's heart you you repent, you humble down. You trust, you ask for the forgiveness of sin. And you ask God to be at peace with him, to walk with him, to know him, to follow him. Jesus, when I think about the depth of your humility, you created heaven and earth and then lived and were born by your own creation. And your own people didn't know you or see you or respond to you, but you kept, kept striving on, kept proclaiming the message of your father's love and yours. And and then in your great love, you laid your life down. So Jesus, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that you would reach into the hearts and minds of every person, every person under my voice, and sing Christmas to them. That you came for us. You want to be with us. And God, in individual and personal ways, help us to open our hearts and our lives to you.